Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Raff. And as always, I'm joined by Andrew from Siberia, halfway across the world. Andrew, how is, how are things? How was the drive to, uh, Yekaterinburg yesterday? <laughs> yeah, I, I question my sanity at times. Um, I, I got there about half an hour after kickoff and drove straight back again and saw my team lose 2-0. Um, so yeah, not my best choice of all time. Um, but you know, I'm up and awake and, you know, enjoying a nice relaxing evening and nothing rushed, you know, not having to get up too early or anything. Um, <laughs> so I had to say that. But, um, yeah, I'm enjoying life. Looking forward to this. Did you see all the goals, Andrew? No, I arrived after both the goals. So I didn't even get to see a goal. Okay, well, so, <laughs> you know, I'm asking because I know that means that the game ended, for, out of your perspective, ended 0-0, which would have been a great result for Tim, right, Tim? How are you, Tim? How's it going in Vancouver? Yeah, I also had a hope, uh, big hopes, Andrew, on you because you said that you're driving there. So I was confident that Logo has no chances in the mighty Ekaterinburg, especially with your presence there. And to be quite honest, when your presence was there, it was 0-0, which would have been an ideal result. But you were late uh, 30 minutes, my friend. Oh, so we blame Andrew for this, right? Yes, yes, please. Let's blame Andrew. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that makes, that makes sense. I, I mean, Andrew, I want to tell you something else. So yesterday I walked around in t-shirts and shorts at 20 degrees Celsius. <laughs> Apart from being an utter, utter, unprintable, unspeakable word, um, actually I could almost do the same today because for the first time in five months, the temperature crept above zero. So I, I can sort of vicariously enjoy your heat because I'm getting a bit of it here too. Okay, well, that's, that's almost summer like, right? In Siberia, that's summer. Um, but you know, we'll... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we're going to do things a little bit different this week and, um, the reason for that is a Russian oligarch um, going Wild West style in not the Russian league, in a different league um, in Greece. And I, if you haven't heard about this, then you probably live underneath a rock. Um, but to explain it all to us, we have a very special guest on the show, a um, very good friend of mine. Someone we've been actually people will probably follow me for a while. No, I've been on television with him several times. Um, he lives in Greece now. He works in Salonika, uh, Thessaloniki. And yeah, Thomas, Thomas Farines on the show, um, to talk to us about a bit of Greek football and the Greek football politics and gun wielding Russian oligarchs. Thomas, how are you doing? I'm great. I've been wearing shorts and t-shirts for the past two weeks, though. <laughs> to be fair, you do live in Greece. <laughs> Just come and live in hot countries and be quiet. I'm fed up with this already. <laughs> Thomas, tell us, before we go into this plot, tell us what you do in Greece. Uh, so I've been, I've been here for a year working in, with sports for development and peace. Um, I'm a football coach. And I coach uh, refugees um, here in different areas of the city. And our objective basically is through football to get them included into society, into Greek society, but also to develop the, their health, uh, both physically and mentally, which is uh, part of the, the problems that the refugees have here, which is depression and lack of activity. That's, that's what I'm doing here. Yeah, some really amazing work. And, um, you know, on your daily life, you, you told me, and this, this was something that you, um, actually posted in our, on one of our chats as well. You take these refugees to games as well, don't you? 
Yes. So we've we started uh, taking uh, groups of ten refugees to to watch some of the local clubs in in Thessaloniki, mm-hmm. uh, because um, for political reasons um, we can we don't take them to to Park, but uh, we've taken them to the smaller clubs, so smaller in the sense that they're not on the first division, which is Aris Salonika, mm-hmm. um, Iraklis, and Apollon Pontu which are three clubs that uh, the fans were interested in having us with uh, to watch the game with them. Just to ask, what are the political reasons at Park? Um, so basically, in these three clubs that I that I stated, uh, there's uh, a left-leaning um, uh, fan groups. Mm-hmm. So they're more like into including people like... Uh, against discrimination, against racism, and uh, in Pauk, uh, it's too mixed. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of supporters of Golden Dawn in the in the in the gates that I normally go, mm-hmm. which is partially the reason why I decided uh, I was advised by the UN actually to not take the refugees to watch Pauk. That's very interesting. Some really interesting things um, and really good stuff that you're doing down there. And of course, uh, those people that don't know, Golden Dawn is the right-wing political party in in Greece, right, Thomas? I would say it's a bit more than right-wing. Uh, mm-hmm. I would compare it uh, to 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 other movements across Europe, such as Pegida or Front National in France, or even UKIP in the UK. So mm-hmm. just as a so on the far right, basically. Mm-hmm. But now that you know we got your background covered. Um, you were at this game on the weekend, yes. the, the game between Ike and Pauk with the gun wielding Ivan Savides. So this is a game that you did attend. Yeah, I, I normally, I tend to at, attend uh, Pauk home games because, well, m- my, my friends are, are Pauk fans and, uh, it's the closest stadium to my house and I quite like the team, uh, and to, to go into the stadium, obviously. And I attended the game against Olympiakos that did, did not start. And I also attended the game against Ike that <laughs> started, but since the beginning was full of tension. Yeah, we, we should probably go on a little bit before we talk about all of the stuff that went down. Um, this is the most exciting Greek Super League that we had in many years, right, Tim? Um, because Olympiakos is the team that has been dominating the league, has won seven titles in a row. Um, but this year we have a very close title race. So this is, is probably the most exciting Greek Super League in years, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I've been following the the Greek league uh, this season, especially because uh, first of all, there's the league, and also my best friend uh, Manos, he is from Greece. He supports Panathinaikos, and he always gives me an update on what's happening in the league. And he suggested me that you know I should be paying attention because, like he, like I said, like he said, there's a first time in the year there's a league. Even Pauk, I think they recently they came in second, but there were 15 points behind. Uh, Olympiakos. I think Olympiakos won something like 18 leagues in 20 years or something crazy like that. So it's, they, there was no real, uh, league in the Super League and now there is and, and, and the, and that's the reason why everything, all this craziness is happening. So, uh, first time in years, it's actually very, very entertaining to watch, uh, the league and it's not just one sided league. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look at the table right now. Um, 
we have Ike on the top of the table with uh, 54 points. We have Park with 52 and we have Olympiakos with 50. Of course, these, um, yeah, yeah you, you to need to mention those. This is not yeah. in stone. Exactly. We need to add asterisks, uh, question marks because there's uh, a bunch of games that were suspended, uh, games that did not finish. We get to the game with the gun in a moment. Um, but you know, this, the, it's all very fascinating because this is, of course, a tightly competed league. Um, but Pauk in particular, um, this is a club that was all taken over by Ivan Savidis. And, um, Andrew, this is a figure that we know quite well from covering the Russian Football Premier League, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, his um, involvement in his home city um, of Rostov um, is, you know, that's, that's what gives me personal interest in the guy. Um, he was he was involved with the the Rostov we see in the Premier League today. Um, was it about ten twelve years ago? I think it was. Um, and then he's he still has business interests in the area, um, but of course with his mixed background, uh, he's ended up um, being based in in Greece. And it's it's fascinating for me in a way because the when you say the word Russian oligarch to an English football fan, your first thought, of course, is Abramovich. But then there are so many Russian owners that are actually branching out in, I believe, in Sydney. You've got um, uh, in Monaco, in Greece. So to see how they're approach differs um is is is, is interesting and I, I can't wait to hear more of what thomas thinks of savidas and how he has been since since he's been in charge at Pauk. um but yeah his background in, in in russian football certainly has potential undertone to what he has been doing in greece i i don't know how close those links are but i'd be interested to see your thoughts Manu, and, and thomas yours as well yeah, I followed this. I started following this. We have a few articles out on him on uh, footballgrad.com. And, um, you know, one of the things, of course, that he took over Park during a time when the Greek state needed a lot of money. And, um, there's one of the articles that we have was that, um, you know, a lot of the debt was, um, he had, he got a lot of debt relief when he took over the club. And, um, there were some ideas that this was, a door opening, a way for the, the Russian government to help Greece in, you know, one of the many debt crises that hit the country over the last few, few years. Um, how much truth there actually is to that, I, I'm not sure, but there is a fact that even Savidis is, um, you know, has a close contact with Vladimir Putin, um, that Russia has, um, a close, you know, close connection to Greece because of the religion, right? Um, the Orthodox Church is very strong in both countries. Um, they, they link between Ivan Savidis and I mean, Savidis is a Greek last name. He's, um, he's from the Greek Caucasus community, um, that lives in Russia. There's a Greek Caucasus community in Russia. So he's, um, member of that. And has always been very outspoken about that as well, hasn't he? And, um, so it's very interesting. He's of course very rich. Uh, he's a billionaire. He owns Russia's largest, um, tobacco company. Um, and, um, has business activities. I mean, when you look at his uh, Wikipedia page, there's just a few companies n named that he's involved in and that's a, it's a long list. So he's a rich man. Um, and he's a very influential man, both in Greece and in Russia, which makes him, of course, interesting. Um, and I'm really curious, Thomas, how is he perceived in, uh, Thessaloniki as a person, as an owner? Um, give us a little bit of an 
of a background on that because I mean this is a man that you know people that ro follow Russian football and politics they know him for being very influential at Rostov to making investments there um, to sort of have kept that team alive but how is he perceived in Greece? Well before I answer that question one of the things as well that you have to know about Safidis is that He also bought uh, this year, uh, sorry, in 2017, he bought the port of Thessaloniki. And the deal was signed in Tumbas Stadium. So there, there is also uh, a business uh, idea behind uh, buying the club. For him, and, and this is the way that is, people that work for him at the club have told me that he's perceived uh, not as a football fan, but more as a businessman that wants to have uh, a toy in order to conduct his business. Um, regarding the way that people see him, for the Pauk fans, he's the savior. Mm. Because where Pauk, had, Pauk and the other clubs in Thessaloniki have had uh, severe financial problems, as, as you can say, like when Pauk, uh, when Pauk was bought by Safidis, The, he cleared the, their debt towards the, the Greek state. And it, it's, quite in, <clears throat> it's quite interesting because, in a sense, uh, fans of Aris and Heracles uh, see with a bit of envy that Pauk now has, has so much money. And this season I started to hear like from football fans in the city and they're saying, like, yeah, During years and years, the mafia was Olympiakos, Marinakis, uh, all against Olympiakos. But in Thessaloniki, it's all against Olympiakos and all against Pauk. And there was the, the rumors, you know, like street rumors, really, talking about how uh, <laughs> Safidis now was on the same level as Marinakis and was uh, strong enough to, to, to have a, a certain influence Uh, over referees and over decisions uh, in the league. And that, that's the way that he's perceived on, on the same way that for Pauk fans, he's like the, the god, the king. And pretty much everyone was clear that they would win the league and the cup this, this season. For the others, he's perceived as like uh, a new mafia man like Marianakis, the former president of Olympiakos that controls the, the Greek Super League. Yeah, that's fascinating. So it's a basically like a Game of Thrones kind of scenario, right? You got these very yeah. powerful people that are running the clubs and sort of trying to yeah. wield the influence to get results. Yeah, and uh, when the 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 the, the problem happened uh, between the the Pauk fans that throw a, um, a toilet paper roll in the in and it landed on Oscar Garcia, the coach of Olympiacos, head. Uh, then there was like the idea of the the union between Olympiakos, Panathinaikos and AEK so that Thessaloniki doesn't get uh, a new title. If, if you think about it, uh, the relationship between Athens and Thessaloniki, it's the rivalry between the two biggest cities of the country. Mm. It's the capital and the second biggest. Like Paris and Marseille in France, for example, And if, if you look at the titles won since 1927, only three cities have won titles. Uh, Athens, I'll, I'll include Piraeus in Athens. Mm -hmm. So the, that's uh, 76 titles. 
Thessaloniki, five, and Larissa, one title only. So there is uh, the power balance between Athens and the rest of the country, football-wise, is huge. Um, 30 years since the last, last non-Athens uh, non uh, team has won the league. That's a very centralized, you know, very centralized, central power. I mean, Piraeus, of course, is the, the port of Athens, right? Yeah. Um, and, um, the owner of Piraeus, like Savidis now, um, yeah. is, is runs the port of Athens. I mean, the ports are very important in Greece because that's how Greek, Greece makes money. Um, that's the, the biggest industry is the, you know, the, um, the port industry and shipbuilding, isn't it? So having control over yeah. one of those assets is very much key. And if you if you hold the asset that is the port, then you are a person of fame all of a sudden and of, of influence. And I guess that's that's really the difference between maybe previous seasons and this season. That you know all of a sudden the owner Savidis is not only um, doesn't only have Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, in his pocket, but also has an important Greek asset in his pocket. And that's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, Tim, when you watch this league, um, what kind of sense do you get from, you know, the competition between Aik Power, Olympiakos? Um, you know, Thomas was choking off the pot. Why would you watch this competition? The football isn't that great, but yet you watch it. And what kind of sense do you get from the games and the, the tension that is surrounding those games? Well, the Greek league is always known for, for their passionate fans and the atmosphere. And you can see people throwing the, uh, the cash register rolls and, uh, people running on guns. So there is definitely tension happening. But in terms of the competition in the league, it's just really, really interesting, uh, to, uh, to follow the league. And we have so many familiar faces, uh, just even from the Russian league and, uh, some other leagues. So it's, it, it was really curious for me to just to start watching also. Um, you know, Dinamo Kiev played Ayak. Um, so, so we have, we had this connection in, in terms of just like, you know, even football grad players and football grad, uh, related football personalities, uh, involved in, in, in the Greek league. And that's why I've been paying attention. It's not like I've been, I've been a close fan of, uh, Greek Super League, but this year is definitely the year to follow. And once all this madness started happening, I've been just really, uh, glued to it because really, how many games were abandoned? The, 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 the results were changed. It's, it's, it's really, it's kind of sad to see that happening because really it's, it feels like it's way more politics than the actual football mm. and the football league in some, in some sense, or maybe in a lot of sense will be, uh, decided not on the football field, but in the courts and behind the closed doors, which me as a neutral football fans make me sad. But at the same time, at the same time as a neutral football fan, it's it's kind of exciting and interesting to watch because it's a complete madness, which rarely happens in European football. No, it really does not happen a lot. I mean, and, and I wonder if what we're seeing in Greece is in the, in football, and you often football is often a mirror of what's going on in society, right? So I think the chaos that you see there in the league is is very much a reflection of the things that are going on in the state. You know, of course, um, by pure economic numbers, Greece is actually on a path of recovery um, for the first time since the crash in 2008, right? It's actually on a path of recovery. But you don't really get the the actual um, 
the actual benefits of a path of recovery on the street level until years after, right? It takes the trickle down effect takes a long time. So I think it's a very much of reflection what's going on in the state. And now, I mean, when we go to these events on the weekend, uh, gun wielding businessman, Russian businessman, of course, made the headline news anywhere in the world. It, it's really fascinating to look at Savidis's role in the past because I remember doing an article back in 2016 when he withdrew the club from the Greek Cup uh, because he felt that it it was everything was kind of slanted against him, right? That um, the the politics that Thomas touched on, everything was going against him. The Greek state was sort of just um, the the big clubs from Athens were sort of just trying to keep their power over this league and over all the competitions, and this is something, so Thomas, you kind of alluded to this off the pod. Um, even Savides sees himself sort of almost like a street freedom fighter, doesn't he? Someone who wants to protect Park's interest, wants to fight the established uh, clubs from Athens. So um, gun-wielding businessman is what everyone else around the world got. And that's, I mean, there is a, it's a fair perspective. It's a bit madness to run on the field with a gun. But on the other hand, he has a long history of actually really standing up for his club, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as you said, um, you don't need to run onto the football pitch with a with a gun. Uh, it it shouldn't happen. But yes, Safid is really he really thinks. Uh, I and it's not only a product of his own mind. Uh, it is true, partially, that it's everyone uh, against Pauk. Uh, as I said previously, like it, in the city, it is everyone against Pauk because Pauk is the most successful club of the city. Although uh, <laughs> their last title was almost 30 years ago, uh, league title. They won the cup in, in May. And for example, if we take back to the beginning of the season, when Pauk won the, the cup in, in May 2017, uh, there were troubles between fans of Ike and Pauk already uh, in in the stadium, and and this is where Safidis takes most of his of the way that he thinks about this, like that it's he has to protect Pauk because Pauk is attacked. Ike got three games without fans and some money to pay. Pauk had nine games, uh, sorry, seven games without fans and more money to pay. So basically, the, you have a team from Athens and a team from Thessaloniki, and in both, in, instead of giving the same to both, one got more than the other. So obviously, you're going to think uh, to yourself that, oh, oh my God, this is directed to Thessaloniki. The, the league, the federation is Athenian, they, oh, so I have to protect my team. But I don't think that the way that he reacted was the correct way of protecting his team. Actually, in my opinion, I think he has, he is causing more damage than good in this case. Let's go to this game, um, Thomas, because you were there. Describe to us yeah. what happened. I mean, this is a game, um, where Powell got a late winner. It was ruled offside. It was ruled a goal and then uh, ruled offside and then a goal again, right? 
but there was a huge gap in between and then there was uh fans running onto the pitch uh and i mean this was when savitas went ran on the pitch just describe it to us what exactly happened how did it feel from the stadium and being inside the stadium and watching it all unfold very frustrating very frustrating i mean uh be we were chatting with our friends i i said look i think Pauk will win with a, with a penalty at the 89th minute from Priovic. and they were like no no it's going to be too new and i said no it's too tense nobody is going to score and one of one of my, my friends said the game is not going to start because they they're going to do the same as olympiacos three minutes in the game there's a foul in front of Ike, um, of the Ike bench. All the people from Ike invade the pitch. Already, like since the beginning, there was like, you know, like very tense game because it 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 was it is the game. Although there's six more games to the end of the season, it's the game that defines the the title race. If if Pauk won, they would be one point in front. If since they drew, because that's the result as it stands. They're still two points behind. And at the end, when we we celebrated, like we didn't understand because we were celebrating the goal. And then we saw all the Pauk players leave in the direction of their side. All the AIC players come in to talk to the referee and to try to make him change his, his, uh, his decision. And I think that was one of the mistakes that Pauk players did because basically probably the referee well was influenced by by that and so he changed his mind for the first time and then obviously people got started to get frustrated and, and and it's a frustration it's not a frustration like this is the first time it happens and uh no it's every two weeks that against uh Athens teams this is happening so it it really it's more than football it's the relationship between these two cities and they really feel like it's an attack on their city and they invaded the pitch and we didn't understand i just saw safidis running from far but i obviously i couldn't understand he had a gun i just saw it on twitter after like when my friend sent me including you manu send send a picture of the guy with the gun i was like what this is crazy i could never imagine that yeah that it, it, it is crazy um i mean we saw this we saw this unfold <clears throat> and then i got your message dude i'm at the game and i was like wow of course you are <laughs> um i mean <clears throat> excuse me yeah he had He had a gun and it, it was very obviously that he had a gun in his, in his upholstery. You know, at football grab, we have access to Getty images. Um, and I, I went through the Getty image archive, um, following the game to, to see what kind of images we had. And one of the images that we do have, um, I tweeted out, um, to advertise for this podcast, right? And there's even Savidis and it's not, you know, a gun somewhere in like in his, in his belt or something. It's like right on, like it's very visible on his gut, but, but right. And it's, it's, it's a revolver too. Um, yes, it's like in a secure yeah. holstery, but it, it, it isn't a revolver. And there's a picture where he has his hand actually on the gun while he's, while he's screaming at someone. So this is not like yeah. a gun that's just there. The gun was actually, you know, he was, he was 
in a in a sort of an emotion where he was ready to use the revolver in the football yeah. stadium. And I mean, um, I understand that this is a very emotional game, and I I think his intentions. I don't want to say he was going to go out there and kill people, although apparently that's what he said. Uh, <laughs> it's um, his his statements after is what. Yeah, what kind of threw me a little bit. Um, he said he wanted to protect all the fans in the stadium. Um, I'm not sure if wielding a gun at a game is the way to do that. Uh, I mean, Thomas, did you feel protected? No, <laughs> not at all. But, and, and this is the thing, Manu, if, if I'm honest, like, and I mean, it, I didn't feel protected, and if I'm honest, like he, you can have, you can have a license to to have a gun, but um, you're in a public space, and you're basically as the president and the owner of the club, you're the biggest representative of your club, and if you if you don't act according to the law, you're going to bring more problems to to the club, and this is what what's happening. It, he. He claims to to want to to protect the fans from provocation, riots, and human casualties. None of that in the in the Park Stadium. Like when when they play Athenian clubs, it's only Park fans. Uh, external fans, uh, away fans, are not allowed to come in. So I think that he didn't, he himself didn't react well to the to the ongoing decisions uh, of the league of referees. Uh, towards him and he felt frustrated and he made a mistake of not letting his gun he could have invaded the pitch without a gun it would have been bad but he didn't need to invade the pitch with a gun that that will only bring problems to the club uh thomas just i have a couple of questions for you just uh, basically on what happened to to the game the the first question is following the ivan savidis um you know, entrance of the field. It also said that Lubosh Michel, who is the former referee and the president of Pauk, also went on field and threatened the referee. And Lubosh Michel is a well-known uh, referee in the world. And there is like unspoken kind of support and unspoken uh, peace between referees. They all, always support each other. So for me, it was very strange that Lubosh Michel threatened the referee and said, like, you're done or something like this. Uh, this is the first question. And the second question also about the atmosphere. I also read somewhere that the game was really, like, abundant for two hours. Were you really at the stadium for, like, four hours? <laughs> um, so the first question... Um, I I don't honestly don't know. I've I've seen this as well. I I don't didn't recognize him from from far, but I what I've heard is that Safidis um, was threatened threatened the referee, and I think that this threat from this former referee happened in in the um, in the changing rooms already. So I I honestly I don't know ab about this. But yes, we stayed at the stadium waiting for a long time. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Wow. We, we, some some people left the stadium at, at almost midnight. And how how was the after the game? Like was it uh, like how was the atmosphere just around the stadium? Were they Ajax fans fans there? Like was it safe or like was it not safe? So, so basically, uh, you, as an away fan in Greece, um, normally you're not allowed to travel. Uh, so. The, the stadium was only black and white, so only Pauk in the stadium. It was the time that I've seen the stadium more full, so I would say pretty much full capacity. And no, there were no 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 Ike fans in the stadium, and <laughs> if they wouldn't dare coming close to Tumba uh, on a day like this to watch uh, to watch to watch the game in a bar. <laughs> I can only imagine. So now, Thomas, the league has been suspended, right? There's no yeah. football um, indefinitely, and it was suspended by the Greek state. What does this mean? What What's the next step? Are we going to see a conclusion to this league? Um, what What do you expect is going to happen next? Well, I'll be going to the second division to watch football from now on. Uh, <laughs> basically, this is this is. This is a bit of a problem. If you look at the, the football grad, Ivan Safidi's article that uh, you made in 2016, you can see that the, there's um, UEFA and FIFA were not really happy with the, with the involvement of the Greek state uh, in the, in the, in the Greek league. And they, they threatened to, to give a certain suspension uh, that now I, I cannot recall to to the Greek authorities, and we all know how much FIFA and and UEFA dislike uh, the the involvement of, of politics and politicians in 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 professional football. The thing is, uh, <laughs> just to explain to you, when when Olympiakos uh, came to to Thessaloniki, and the the game didn't even start, it, the game was given to. Um, <laughs> To Olympiacos and Pauk lost three points. On the Saturday at one in the morning, that decision was revoked. Mm. So the Saturday before the game against Ike. So what I mean by that, anything could happen, and it could be happening right now whilst we're having the chat. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> it's a bit unpredictable football here in this country. <laughs> Yeah, do do clarify um, FIFA a bit unpredictable. And, yeah, exactly a bit. Of a, but FIFA and UEFA could suspend um, the Greek Football Federation if they feel there is state involvement, and they have done this in the past. Um, they have suspended football federations in the past. We have an example here in the Concacaf right now where Guatemala is suspended indefinitely for state involvement. Um, so you know this is a serious threat. Um, if the if the government bodies feel that there is too much influence wielded by the government, um, by the state government onto the football federation. They can suspend it. 
Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see, Thomas, really what happens next. Um, my hope is to come out there in May to visit you. Uh, we can chat a bit more about it then and see where we're at with football. Hopefully there will be some football because that's actually my intention of one of the intentions of why I want to go there. Um, so that we can actually go and watch some football and report about it, right? Um, but I guess we really don't know what's happening next, right? Right. Uh, but there'll still be the second division to watch, Manu. And it's quite nice as well. It's same style of football anyway. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's a positive or negative. Fantastic stuff, Thomas. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Um, give us a quick shout out. Where can people find you on the likes of Twitter? Um, where can people follow you, etc. What have you up to? Give us just a couple minutes of yourself and then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll continue with our Russian football stuff. <laughs> thanks, Manu. Thanks, team. And thanks, Andrew. Uh, Andrew, I will on sooner than later. Uh, so, <laughs> I was <laughs> so basically, uh, you can follow me at, uh, at Thomas Farines. Um, that's my, my personal account. I also do the tweets for the, at we are Aniko. Aniko in Greek means belong. And that's the name of my organization. The, if you follow us on Twitter, you can, or Instagram or Facebook, you can follow the work we've been doing in the field for the past, uh, year. And yeah, I'll be here in Greece enjoying the summer and hopefully receiving you, Manu, mm -hmm. before we go to Russia. Absolutely. Well, great stuff. Thanks for coming on, Thomas. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thomas. Bye. See you Thanks, soon. Tom. Bye. Well, yeah, everyone, that was Thomas Farines uh, with a very special um, Greek segment. Crazy stuff, right, guys? Really interesting stuff. Um, Sometimes we say that Russian league is crazy, oh. but there's yeah, some yeah, competition. I, I was going to say it, it puts it in perspective a bit, doesn't it, it? It definitely did put it into perspective. I mean, we we have some craziness to discuss. Uh, you know, not quite as crazy as this, but uh, we had an interesting match day once again. And one of the, the interesting things we already alluded to that was you driving all all the way out to Yekaterinburg to miss two locomotive goals. Uh, as Andrew, as Tim was saying, jokingly, Warden was zero zero. Unfortunately, that's not quite the case, right? Andrew, you saw this game or you saw some of this game. Um, Locomotive are now eight points clear at the top of the table. Tell me, Andrew, do you think that's it? I, I actually do. I, I, not that I think it's this result specifically that sealed it, but mathematically, I mean, we, we said for quite some time, really, that Loco are in the driving seat. The only small caveat I'd make is that I believe Tisca have a slightly easier run in. Um, you know, Spartak, well, they're only eight points behind. I say only eight points. It's, it is a long, it is a large gap. Um, it is, it's not impossible, but deep down, I really do think that's it. Um, I don't say that just because of the eight point difference though. Um, I mean, last, last night, Loco were just, they were magnificent. I hate to say it, Tim. I'm really sorry about this. But they, they were just so, so calm and in control. And this was on a, I've got to be honest, it was an utterly terrible surface at the the SKB Bank Arena. It's a really exposed ground, you see. And they had to put a, a whole pitch cover for the last day or two um, just to keep the snow and ice off. But what that did was it killed large patches of the grass and it 
cut up really badly. But you wouldn't have known it from the style of play that Loco, and to be fair, Oral as well, but Loco were just streets ahead. Um, and it just didn't seem to bother them. Fernandez, both the Moranchuk twins were just, uh, they were they were untouchable. Um, so all they really need to do is just just pick off the easier, easier games, rest their main players for the for more difficult ones. Um, and I think the title will be theirs. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, Tim, your side, Spartak, um, I saw the statistics after this match against Gagabowsk. My word. Yeah. That that was a that was a heavy piece of work. Um, you absolutely dominated this game. You did everything you could to get those three points, and, and in the end, you did. But it, it was a lot of work, wasn't it? Yeah, it it was. It was a lot of work. And you know, even like how many shots we had thirty nine or forty something like that, and they had I think in total of one. Or, yeah. Or so something like that. So, so it was very very one sided game. But at the same time, I can't really say that Spartak had too many chances, there are chances, but um, even uh, one Russian journalist, he was at the stadium, he was in the press box, and he was uh, filming stories, and he called the, uh, that match a game of find a guy in, in a white shirt, and he was filming uh, three quarters of the field, and he honestly couldn't see one Skahabarovsk players. They played so deep and so um, defensively that it was pretty much I impossible to to <laughs> to do anything there. And uh, again, their goalkeeper uh, had a game of his life, so it, it was a tough game, but I'm happy that uh, Spartak won, got three points, and that was done through with a beautiful, beautiful Fernando kick. Um, it was a free kick, just unbelievable. Just, just, just if you if you listen to this podcast right right now, open a new Windows in your browser or on your phone, Google Fernando mm. free kick against Kachabarovsk and watch it. It's just really, really uh, a beautiful free kick. But I I agree. You know, the eight points to go before. How many games? Eight, eight games to go. It looks like Lokomotiv is done, but uh, at the same time, it's still, you know, very important. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just as ever talking as a one-sided Spartak fan to get uh, the second, the second spot to qualify to Champions League to the group stage. It's extremely important uh, for Spartak because we still have the cup. We had a pretty good run in Europe, and if Spartak qualifies uh, for Champions League, I would personally consider this a very successful uh, season. Uh, so there's a lot to play, maybe not in terms of the champion, the the trophy, but in terms of just uh, European qualification, because that race is super tight. Yeah, and I mean, the second spot is very important because second spot is a straight shot to the group stage. You don't have to play any qualification stages, right? So exactly. the second spot almost is becoming like the, the new first spot because um, I went online to the boys to um, 538, the, the, the start guys. Um, it's... They have very interesting stats on all the leagues. Take it a little bit of a grain of salt, of course. Um, the, the statistics usually get better towards the end of the season when they have more data input, as it usually is the case with stats. But I feel after 22 match days, we have a very good idea of how things are going to go. And um, they say Lokomotiv have a 97% chance of qualifying for the Champions League straight, right? And a 74% of winning um, the Russian Premier League title. Now that doesn't sound commanding, but it is because it, it, you know, when you, when you take 74% out of, um, 16 teams, that might as well be 100 because the second team of the most percentage is Spartak with 12% and then goes to CSKA with nine and Krasnodar with three and Zenit with three point three percent chance of winning the title. So this is, 
this is a commanding lead. Um, they have to really, things have to go really wrong for them to, to mess this one up. And I mean, they are pretty much out of the Europa League at this stage as well, right, Andrew? Um, the, this, the first leg against Atletico went more like we expected. So they can have 100% focus on the league now. Well, pretty much. Um, I, I really, I don't expect, and I don't think, I don't think Loco fans will be expecting, I don't think before the, the first leg, and certainly not now, would have expected anything from this tie. I mean, Atletico really are one of, one of the best sides, um, in Europe. I'm, I'm amazed that they didn't get through the Champions League group, but, um, they'll be going straight back into the Champions League and they'll be staying there for some time, I'd imagine. Um, so yeah, no away goal, uh, three goals to claw back against, the tightest defence in Spain. Uh, there's, there's really no scrap of hope, I don't think, for Loco. Um, it would have to take a an implosion of monumental proportions for anything close to uh, Loco threatening to go through. But like you say, it, it'll make the running even easier for um, for Locomotive. Um, yes, Spartak also, yeah, okay, the Cup is going to be an interesting target, I think. Um, I think Carrera, like Tim said, um, on a previous podcast last week or week before that, you know, Carrera is going to prioritise, well, I say priority, is going to give a lot of importance to the cup. Um, I, I still find any questions around his future very bizarre, but um, a cup always goes a long way to smoothing over any um, relationship problems that may be between the media or the fans, or whatever it is. The fans have a strong relationship with him, admittedly. Um, so Sparta, yes, they also have a relatively comfortable running, but Loco, it's theirs to lose, and I just um, I, I can't see it happening. I'm afraid, um, Sim. I'm sorry. I, I normally am the positive guy, but um, <laughs> this time it was it would have you know if Oral had done their job last night. Had I been there, we would have been talking differently. <laughs> yeah, thanks for your positivity, Andrew. Yeah, um, like I said, I had high hopes on your tr- trip to Ekaterinburg because I felt like this was the last time when somebody could stop Lokomotiv, and all the hope. Um, pretty much all hopes of Spartak fans of massive army of red and white people was on you and yeah <laughs> well if it's any consolation Tim I will have a chance to to, to put things right when Spartak come to your Katzenberg um, <laughs> I'll, I'll be there then and I'll make sure we roll over I might just accidentally be very very late for that game oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff well it can always be worse and um <laughs> And that's what I'm going to get to next. I mean, we, we talked about the I, Europa League. And I like the intro. Yeah, it can always be worse because the next team we're talking about has only won one game in five in all competitions. Um, and that was a 3-0 victory against Celtic in the second leg of the round of 32 in the Europa League. Um, they've drawn twice a 0-0 to glorious Amka Perm and 0-0 to glorious Rostov and they've lost in Germany to RB Leipzig. Um, the team I'm talking, of course, is Senate and Senate are now fifth with just 39 points. Tim, this is, this is like, uh, this is like watching a car crash slowly unfolding, it's isn't very it? Slow motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, remember how in the beginning of the season we were talking that, okay, it's Zenit's league. They, they were, I believe, eight points ahead of everyone. They were playing beautiful. They were scoring left, front, and center. Um, they were just very, very impressive. And now we just really watching the uh, car crash in slow motion. And it's, it's hard to say really what happened. Uh, it's, uh, 
it's it's really like there's a lot of small things which affected this result, but there was I don't think there was one big um, thing except maybe the the death of uh, their sporting uh, director uh, Konstantin Sarsania. After he he pretty much he built that team in terms of managing their transfers, and uh, after his unfortunate uh, death pretty much everything fell apart and i don't know it's probably like i don't know it's a, it's a, you need to be inside the team but it seems like after that everything really really went went off the hill and um also the the conflict between zuba shatov and mancini not favorable result alexander kokorin kokorin losing his form um right now they got injury of their central defender mamana so it's 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 really lots of lots of things which are going wrong for Zenit, and really they are right now on the fifth place. Uh, still, it's two points away from the second place from Spartak, but still, right now they're on fifth place. And in terms of just like the level of football they're playing, it doesn't look like uh, you know you don't see where the improvement will come from uh, because uh, as we discussed slightly later, there is an internal. I don't want to call it a revolution, but there is internal problems inside the dressing room, and Zenit um, might might miss out on Champions League again. And for such a massive club as they are, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, this club is built to play in Champions League and actually to succeed in Champions League. And by succeeding in Champions League for a Russian club is uh, qualifying for the playoffs to you know to going through the groups to the playoffs and obviously if you don't play in champions league you're not going to qualify for playoffs so it's 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 like you said i think it's a car crash in slow motion as a spartak fan i'm uh, purely enjoying this and i'm i'm having a great time but at the same time you know just uh, from a neutral football ground point of view it's one of the strongest uh, russian clubs and um something something is wrong there deeply deeply wrong yeah and how do you see this um, there is, you know, the the only lifeline that they got from the Europa League game is that late uh, Domenico Cresito free kick. But in reality, that game could have ended three for zero for Leipzig. Um, Leipzig were oh. and Leipzig are a side that have a lot of problems themselves right now. You know, this is not a team that's that's uh, dominating the German league. This is a team that's very much and has very much the same problems actually than Zenit at the moment with inconsistency. Um, dropping points against smaller sides, etc. But, you know, it's only really that one goal that's giving them a lot of hope. And if Leipzig play the same way that they did in the first leg, Zenit will likely go out. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. I think um, I think Zenit were very lucky to 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 come come away with what actually on paper is, I would, I would actually argue, a promising scoreline. Um, oh, I don't know. OK, I'll try and be as positive as I can. Zanit are always capable of, of pulling out performances. And the last time they were at home in Europe, when I watched them against Celtic, they were absolutely brilliant. And that was the best side of Zanit. Mm. What I find quite astonishing is how, well, I, I have to be honest, a lot of this goes down to Mancini for me. I, don't, I think he's losing control slightly, not just in the psychological sense, I'll come on to that in a moment, but I think just in terms of controlling his squad, controlling his players, getting the best out of them, I, I just think he's messed around too much with the lineup. I am actually a very big fan of uh, Anton Zabalotny since he's come in. He's not he's not to everyone's taste. He's not the most perhaps the most cultured player, but he played a big part in that um, successful game against Celtic. So 
you know, in the earlier parts of the season, Alexander Kokorin was so much better through the middle. He was just ripping defences to pieces with his, his movement and his pace and his finishing. And I thought that's how they should stay for the whole season. Um, given their lack of confidence, I'm actually starting to think Zabalotny ought to start um, instead of uh, Sebastian Giussi, who's played a couple of games recently. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm clutching at straws here, but if he picks the right team, yes, there is a chance um, in the home leg. But when the pressure's on, we've seen that Zanit do not respond very well. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what your stature of your team is. To, to only win... I, th- I think it's only two games they've won in the last 11 games in the league. For anybody, that's poor. But for Zanin, that's dreadful. Um, but you know what I think the worst statistic is? Uh, and I know statistics shouldn't lead your entire perception of a team, but I think it's very revealing, is that they've had more nil-nil draws than any other side. And that, for me, shows they don't have the strength of character to kill off a game. They don't know how to kill off a game. They've got the talent, certainly. But I think it appears they don't have the direction to do it. And I think Mancini has a lot to answer for. Um, so I, I just, I, for the rest of the season, I don't see them getting out of this slump. I think Europe, Europe, Europa League qualification is probably safe, but that's about it, really. A 33% chance of winning the Champions League, according to the start, could uh, qualify for the Champions League, not win it, of course, to go to the Champions League, uh, according to the starts, guys, at 538. Um, Tim, Andrew mentions Mancini, and Mancini, um, with a bit of a controversial Instagram post yesterday, I believe, on mm-hmm. on Monday. Tell us what happened there, because that was not very nice. Yeah, it, it wasn't nice, and it just shows the state where the Mancini himself and probably the the management staff was needed. So pretty much one of the uh, fans uh, posted. Um, picture from the away stand in the game is against Rostov and he posted a swear word I'm not sure if I can if I'm allowed to say that but like an Italian swear word at Mancini and then pretty much the hashtags were in Russian Mancini out and you know you you get the post like pretty much un, unhappiness with Mancini and Mancini goes and comments makes the first comment on the spo- on this post responds in another swear against this uh Zenit fan and his sister from what i understand i don't i'm not very good with italian swears but that's what it said on sports through in terms of translation and pretty much you know the the coach um goes and confrontation in a swear confrontation on social media on instagram you know people do that like people always fight in in comments on youtube instagram and twitter but you're the coach of one of the biggest clubs in russia and you are Mancini, you are like the, the legendary football player, the person who who coached in those leagues. It's a little bit below his status and really just his, you know, Mancini as as a person. So, and you know, we know Mancini as a as a, a strong player, as a strong coach, um, a bit of a stubborn person. So it just shows that you know he definitely knows that he shouldn't be doing that, but. You, under, you can understand, you can see what kind of state he is in if he really freaks out and really cannot control himself and really, you know, makes uh, unpleasant comments on social media. I also want to stress out that my, um, uh, what I said in the beginning of the season uh, kind of worked out. And I just want to, to, to make a statement that in the beginning of the season, I said that Zenit on paper has probably the strongest squad in the league. But my only hope was that Mancini won't be able to control such a, 
um, ambitious dressing room. And if anything goes wrong, this dressing room will be a complete mess. And I said that, I think, in the very, very beginning of the season. And look what's happening right now. So I got it right. Yeah, I think we both called this, Tim. Yeah. We, we said this was a dumpster fire waiting to happen. And yes, that's what happened. Um, Andrew, this Instagram post, I mean, we deal, we had a, we had a recent example in England of someone spitting at fans. Um, <laughs> yes, these, yes, these, these people are always provoked, right? It's hard to be a professional, but at the yeah. same time, if you were the coach of a big club, what are you doing on social media? And I responding like that, that's, that's the, probably one of the most unprofessional things I've ever seen. Is this, is this something that, you know, is this a fireball offense? Well, I, I mean, to, just to put a, a, like a 2% um, bit of context on it, the, the specific reply he, he made in Italian, um, it's, it comes across in a disgusting sense. It's more of a, it's kind of more of a, a, a slang reply when somebody's abusing you, you just say, I know it sounds horrible and it is horrible, but um, it was a, it was kind of a, a teenager's reaction to it. That, that's, you know, that's what people say without genuinely meaning to, you know, infer certain things about members of families. Um, but yes, I agree with you. It's an incredibly unprofessional thing. The, the big, big difference is on social media, you've got to actively type it in. You've got to think about it. He's, he's putting it into his phone as he's, as he's doing this. It's not like it's in a conversation or, you know, he's not, he's not physically face to face with somebody who's, prodding him, pushing him, being aggressive physically, where he's got no time to think and he just reacts and says something. Um, is it fireable? Well, it's, it's a bit like I mentioned last podcast. I, I think realistically, I don't, I can't see him staying at the end of the season, but I don't think he'll have to be fired. I think he's, I think he's already in his own mind um, thinking, right, what, how can I get out of this situation? You know, even if you are, you know, if you're really, um, frustrated and angry, and I think he's got some reason to be to be angry at some elements of what's gone on uh, with the fans' relationship towards him. But if he was still committed to the club, he wouldn't make a comment like that. He would come out with a strongly worded statement saying, "Look, I'm you know I'm 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 as annoyed as you are at this, but I'm committed to turning this round." It seems to be part of his character. He's more well. I don't have to respond to this in the way that I'm supposed to. It says to me he's already mentally leaving the club in his own mind um so i don't i don't think he'll have to be fired basically is, is, is how i see it turning mm. out um i i felt you know i felt beginning of the season it was probably a good appointment um i was slightly more positive than you guys were um but your vision is proven right and i think i think really he thought he could stroll to the title with zanit and it's proven to not be the case and like i said earlier um previous pods I said the same about Luchescu. That was the body language I got after the first game with Luchescu. Um, Mancini will be gone. I have no doubts about that. I don't think it will be that vitriolic or aggressive. I think it will be relatively mutual, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I, I would probably go along with that. Um, you know, there's, there's probably someone that's going to offer him a very good job and that will be the end of that. Um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Right now, it is they're the dumpster fire that... Tim and I uh, predicted. <laughs> so that's makes me, makes me kind of feel like, um, you know, I, I'm following Mancini's career for a while now and it, it always seems to end that way, doesn't it? Um, so we'll see how it ends at Zenit. 
in all fairness, it's only two points to a Champions League spot for Sanit. So there is still a lot of football to be played. And maybe they will be able to turn it around. Given his social media activity, I'm not <laughs> sure um, that will happen. I can only just see things getting worse. We'll see how it goes on Thursday's game. And I mean, the Europa League games and the Champions League game, big Champions League game today for Shakhtar Donetsk, by the way. Um, all of that we'll cover next week. Guys, we're unfortunately out of time, but th that was a fascinating podcast, wasn't it? Um, really interesting having Thomas on, so I want to thank him one more time. But Andrew, um, I'll go to you first. What do you have to plug? Um, what have you been up to? And the floor is yours. Um, well, I'm just uh, currently organizing my my trip to Moscow and St. Petersburg at the end of the month to cover Russia against Brazil and Russia against France. I've been really spoiled with the home international friendlies at the moment. So I'll be bringing some some live content for footballgrad.com uh, for those games. So definitely keep your eyes open during the international break for that. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm, I'll, I'm doing the, the previews. I'm doing the preview for Locomotive. Um, that'll be with you. By the time this pod is out, um, and um, yeah, more more coverage of well, I probably won't be a much more coverage of Russian teams in Europe. I don't have much hope for that, but that's what I'll be focusing on in the short term. Awesome stuff! Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to all of that. Tim, um, we are back in Vancouver next week, um, and we hope to get some Mexican coverage, don't we? A couple of Mexican superstars coming to Vancouver. Yeah, exactly. Like we, uh, me and and Manu, um, working the MLS, uh, pretty much like Vancouver Whitecaps home games, and we're trying to cover as much as possible. So we're doing the live tweeting, we're writing the articles, and also one of the little project which we started is to um, interview players of different MLS teams who will be going to World Cup in Russia and trying to get some um, insight on how they feel about the upcoming World Cup. So this is, we have a, quite a few, um, you know, ideas of who to talk to and it's going to be interesting and you can uh, hear those um, articles and uh, interviews on Football Grad. And people can follow me on uh, Rocket from Russia Instagram and also Russian Tim 61 on Twitter. Yeah, I'm pleased to because you do a lot of other and very interesting things that are not necessarily football related, like Russian punk music, which good stuff. Definitely give that a follow. Yeah, and I've been your host, Manu Weff. You can find this podcast at Grad Live on Twitter, along with the previews that Andrew mentioned. The Champions League previews are already out. Um, the Europa League previews, some of them are out. Um, some of them are coming out. Probably most of them will be out by the time this podcast um, has been released. And yeah, all the other content, all at Grad Live. And you can follow me at Manu Weff. Well, guys, this was a good podcast. Fantastic podcast. And... Thank you all for listening. Until next week, das wird dann wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.